0: I'm Dr. Ryan Sunderman, UnityPoint Health, St. Luke's Hospital ER Medical Director. As the world deals with COVID-19, we want you to know St. Luke's is prepared in working with our corridor hospital partners to care for our communities. Here are the symptoms of COVID-19. Fever, cough, shortness of breath. If you develop emergency warning signs for COVID-19, get medical attention immediately. Emergency warning signs include difficulty breathing or shortness of breath, persistent pain or pressure in the chest, new confusion or inability to arouse, bluish lips or face, however this list is not all-inclusive. Please consult your medical provider for any other symptoms that are severe or concerning. These symptoms may appear two to fourteen days after exposure. Call your doctor if you have concerning symptoms to determine next steps. And If you do need emergency care please call ahead to the ER and tell them why you are coming so we can arrange to meet you and direct you to the right location. If you need an ambulance be sure to tell them when you call about your symptoms so paramedics can take the correct precautions. This is Dr. Ryan Sunderman with UnityPoint Health, St. Luke's ER.
1: This is Livewell Talk on Alcohol. I'm Dr. Dustin Arnold, Chief Medical Officer at UnityPoint Health, St. Luke's Hospital. Alcohol is a significant part of our culture, from a glass of champagne and a toast to grabbing a beer with friends after work. It can be very positive in social settings, but for some people, it, when consumed in excess can lead to a disability and disease. To discuss this today with me is Matt Roca, Program Manager at St. Luke's Chemical Dependency and Mary Beth Pfeiffer, Oncology Dietitian at Helen G. Nassif Community Cancer Center. Welcome. Glad to be here.
2: Thank you. I mean,
1: alcohol is a big part of our culture. Going back to antiquity, I mean, this is nothing that's, that's new and it's there. Uh, we, we tried as a society to prohibit it. That didn't work out very well. And so we need to be aware of the, the risk and the benefits. Alcohol, obviously there's the dependency. Some people can drink and not have any problems, and, and moderation is not a big deal. Others aren't as fortunate and uh, can lead to a dis- significant disability. I'd like to cover both the disability from that, as well as some of the nutritional aspects of it. Well, and some of the other comorbid conditions that, that we see with alcohol. May i kind of start with you. What, what is moderation uh, when it comes to alcohol consumption? Sure.
3: You know, moderation is a concept that we hear about, and as you identified, there's certainly individuals that are uh, more capable, uh, maybe don't have a family history or a background of addiction, and are able to consume alcohol in smaller amounts where there isn't any problems. Certainly by the time they get to walking in the door in an office like ours, something has happened. You know, so those are the individuals that we certainly give a little bit more attention to and try to figure out and understand and help are the ones that it's, it's gone beyond um, being able to demonstrate to themselves and to family members that it's not causing problems. It's very common for individuals to really get focused on amounts, whereas we try to focus on problems. So the amounts really can vary for some people, but can work. But once those problems do start to show up, that's where we're hoping we might be able to make some contact with them.
1: And that same line, Mary Beth. Uh, let's say I'm consuming alcohol in excess or moderation quotation marks, mm-hmm. but I'm not having problems. I, you know, I don't, I don't have any disruption in my life. I'm, you know, I'm. But what's what what's considered moderation from a dietary standpoint?
2: Well, from dietary standpoint, moderation for recommendations from the American Cancer Society are two drinks a day for men and one for woman women, and a twelve ounce beer is considered one serving. A one and a half ounce alcohol shot, I guess you would call it, um, is equivalent to one serving. And wine, it's about five ounces, is considered a serving. And kind of where we see nutritional problems is those calories that people get from alcohol replace something else nutritionally that they really need, like protein or a variety of other nutrients. So the, the risk for malnutrition is pretty high for those people that do drink in excess.
1: And, and that's where we get the term empty calories, mm-hmm. that
2: there's, there's really there's no nutritional definitely. benefit.
1: You know, it's funny you say that once a day, one drink a day. You know, I've seen many patients over the years and, you know, you'll say, how much do you drink? I have one drink a day. Okay. Well, then when, during my residency, Tiny and I lived in this building with all these retired women. And we would meet them Sunday afternoons in someone's apartment for beverages. And they would have a tumbler that was 16 ounces, you know, and I was just thinking to myself all the time, yeah, but they tell their doctor, oh, I have one a day, you know, and uh, uh, so uh, the, it's good to put that, quantitate that amount on there and 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 understand that, you know, five ounces is not a
2: lot. No, it's not, and the supersized containers that alcohol comes in these days, you know, I don't even know all the names for some of them um, that, you know, c- can it be equivalent to seven to 11 drinks, yeah. so it's, um i think it was the the boxes of uh wine that go in the refrigerator it's 33 servings wow. of the 5 ounces and i thought wow. you know and i think awareness is a, the first step in understanding you know that alcohol for some people moderation works but for other people um and what we're finding with cancer prevention that um there's a definite link even for occasional alcohol use Increasing cancer risk in seven different types of cancer, primarily the the digestive system from the head um, down to the colon, and with women, breast cancer.
1: Now, is there that a difference between hard alcohol, uh, liquor, as opposed to beer, or is it risk of all? It's of them...
2: the amount of alcohol okay. per drink, and I think it's uh, ten milliliters of alcohol is considered an average drink. So that's what all three of those things I mentioned earlier sure. are have. In terms of alcohol content.
1: Matt, do you see a chemical dependency? Do you see a lot of people with uh, health problems from alcohol? You know, I don't know if my patient sampling's biased because the ones that are in the hospital obviously have liver problems and, and, sure. and concerns. So to me, I think every person that has that problem, but
3: what do you see? Yeah, so absolutely the health problems we'll see will be not only mental health issues that we deal with, but the physical health issues a lot of times really do center on nutritional habits. So even with our moderate severe cases in the outpatient setting, the nutritional choices and the decisions that they make a lessen or worsen that we'll see that commonly with alcohol. Then the more severe cases, the ones that we are coming up to see the hospital in, they've gotten to the point where as you, you're familiar with, they're replacing their meals with alcohol right. over long periods of time. So if you're doing that, as you know, for two weeks or two months, now we're talking about the body needs nutrients and fluids. Uh, to rehydrate. And that gets real serious because that's an admit, those are admissions where we're yeah, coming up. Yeah, and yeah, and those are very serious. So we seem kind of at two different levels with the relationship that the negative influence that alcohol can have on nutrition. An outpatient setting, still serious, but even more so on in those inpatient patients we mm-hmm. see. And do you see the age of
1: people drinking more now than they perhaps in the past in your, in your specialties?
3: I mean, I know that like the state of Iowa certainly collects that kind of data. Um, you know, for the patients that we see where we serve you know, adults only, but we know that there's some data out there that certainly supports that not only with other substances, but with alcohol, and that there's more kids that are experimenting. There's more kids that, you know, are, are coming to that conclusion that, you know, it's less risky than maybe it used to be or what I was told. So I would think that there's probably some good yeah. data out there that supports there's yeah, I, more going I, on.
1: Much like vaping. I just don't yeah. think it's a good idea to push these flavored seltzer, uh alcoholic beverages, uh, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, and flavored beers, et cetera, et cetera cause You're just making it more palatable to perhaps to younger, younger people. Absolutely. Is there an age where I should quit drinking alcohol? I mean, do you recommend that later in life, uh, Mary Beth, as uh, part of, to stimulate appetite, et cetera, in cancer patients?
2: Yeah. When I was working in long-term care and we had older geriatric patients that had a problem with appetite, we sometimes did allow that. And one of the requests that we got for recreation was a happy hour before the meals because of that. However, now that I'm working in oncology, I see that really any alcohol is probably not in the best interest of patients that are trying to prevent any significant disease, particularly cancer.
1: So and falls, in the elderly, I imagine Mm -hmm. if you, because Mm -hmm. I mean, alcohol obviously impairs your balance. How long does it stay in your system, Matt? Do you know?
3: Well, and there's a lot of variables that can impact that, you know, with with the length of time. You know, the the law enforcement community really has to spend a lot of time, effort, and energy trying to figure that sort of stuff out. But, you know, certainly we're talking about male versus female, the same amounts, you know, are going to be metabolized differently and processed differently, you know, on a full stomach, on an empty stomach. So there's a number of different things that can influence that. So the the average length, you know, I I really couldn't tell you unless we're looking at a real specific situation. And I'm sure it's variable on people's
1: metabolism, the amount of formic acid they can make, et cetera, et cetera, alcohol dehydrogenase or whatever it is that processes Mm -hmm. that in the liver. You mentioned the cancers, breast and gastrointestinal. Mm -hmm. What what are some, you mentioned seven, what are some other ones that people should be wary of?
2: Obviously the liver cancer, which is where our body processes alcohol, any tissue in the body that is physically exposed to alcohol. um, And that's where I mentioned the head and neck. So mouth, We have a lot of head and neck cancers. Um, When I first started in gynecology, we had about five head and neck patients at one time. We have 35 now. And head and neck cancer is probably one of the worst cancers to have due to the treatment effects. And uh, the good thing is it's very curable, but the bad thing is it's a tough treatment. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So it's liver, breast, I think I mentioned earlier, but colon, particularly in men. They're finding a higher relationship. And when we were talking about alcohol and nutrition, Matt was talking about, you know, the variability and men metabolize it more quickly than women um, due to the amount of muscle mass versus fat. Where women have more fat, it doesn't process it as quickly or efficiently. So um, for women, like I said, the breast cancer, colon cancer is another one um, that we try to pr- do our best to prevent, but the American Institute for Cancer Research recommends no alcohol at all, even small amounts. And that's a change from previous recommendations. Right, right. Because then you
1: get in from the American Heart Association, then you... There's a, a little bit of a... Right. If you read wine and then, you know, mm-hmm. which they've actually found out it's probably the red grape,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, which the Welch's people are obviously excited about. Mm-hmm. So it's actually the, the, they think it might be a tannin in the grape. Uh, skin and that's what the benefit is, and it's not actually wine. But then people take that to drink the whole box of wine, thinking they've just got extra, extra health prevention, <laughs> and that's not the case. You know so about liver uh, cancer that that was that's kind of the classic internal medicine case that that it's the alcoholic that survived their alcoholism, has been sober for twenty years, really, really, and then they present with liver cancer uh, later in life. You know, that's one that you, you we we we've seen. Uh, and you always think about that when an, uh, uh, an alcoholic, uh, uh, an alcohol recovered alcoholic or recovering alcoholic uh, presents with a health problem later in life. And, you know, Matt. Back to the clientele that uh, uh, you and I deal with on this end of the spectrum, or that end of the spectrum. I always say when when an alcoholic shows up for medical care, look for something beyond their alcoholism, because they wouldn't be there unless something was driving them there. Right. You know, so look for the pneumonia, look for the some something else that might be going on don't just attribute it to their intoxication. Yeah. I think you have to be vigilant. On they can that. be very
3: complex cases yeah. with a lot going on. You bet. Yeah.
1: We, we talked about the elderly population or preventing stuff. Matt, what's, what's some underage drinking? What, that obviously doesn't sound like a good idea. So what are some problems that you see with that?
3: Well, certainly anybody that, that presents to us with what we define as early onset is unfortunately a real indicator of there's probably going to be problems down the road. You know, So we're talking with you know, we have an opportunity to speak with parents or with uh, younger uh, patients we'll see at the hospital. The longer that you can hold off on having any alcohol, the greater, significantly greater chances you are to not have any problems at all with alcohol down the road in your life. So there's some good, there's some good data out there that really supports that also. Um, but then also, you know, that um, no different than we've talked about with any substance and some other substances specifically is, you know, when you're using them in that window of time where you're growing and maturing and developing Absolutely. the most. That is the riskiest time to be um, um, learning how to cope with issues by using substances, what it can impact on you even physically, which you would know much better than I would. But that social component on uh, using it as a coping skill, when your mind and body are growing and developing the most during that five, six year window of time as an older teen, a young adult, that's where we really see the risks, you know, and the problems start to show up. And they can be prolonged, you know, over life with the earlier that you start, which is kind of common knowledge. My dad, who long passed away, but was a heavy
1: drinker. He always would say, the bottle will not provide answers, but it makes the questions go away. Mm -hmm. And you know that's so true that uh, it it really doesn't solve anything. It It just delays the consequences of whatever is going on in life. Absolutely. Mary Beth, back to you from a nutritional standpoint or or risk standpoint, beer, wine, liquor, they're all risky. There's not a safe alcohol beverage.
2: Yeah. Matt and I were talking a few minutes um, before we started about smoking and the impact of what a dangerous duo, alcohol and smoking are. And this is what we found in our work with cancer patients is that if they've got both of those things going on, you know, your cancer risk increases almost sevenfold by doing both of those things. So it's a pretty dramatic, um, and like I said, I call it a dangerous duo. So, you know, and we do have patients that totally quit drinking alcohol upon a cancer diagnosis. They are encouraged to totally cease smoking and alcohol consumption, and many do. And you have, we, we of course always give them positive feedback that, you know, what a wonderful thing that is. But there are some people that the social aspects are such, uh, uh, so strong that their desire to stop is overwhelmed by. Um,
1: well, that, that's the a good bodies. point to come back, Matt, with. I mean, we, we use the term recovering alcoholic. and. I think not from necessarily that maybe someone that's a recovering alcoholic listening, but maybe people that might interact with them, mm-hmm. that they should know that there's really not a safe amount of alcohol for that person to consume. That, you know, they, well, they're just going to be a glass of champagne at this toast or et cetera, et cetera, that they really should avoid that. And if they're a good friend, they'll uh, take take that into
3: consideration prior to expose them, right? I mean, you can't Absolutely. just... Uh, yeah, the the risks of of having one drink for the alcoholic, you know, are, are tremendous compared to maybe the person sitting next to them that does not have that history, at all, or even a family history of it, and can have that one drink and it totally re- re- they react to it differently. You know, the the common metaphor we use a lot of times is, um, you know, if you if you have a uh, an allergy to a bee sting, you know, when you're little, but you don't have a bee sting for twenty years, you're still allergic. If you still have a bee sting yeah. twenty years down, you might have a reaction to that bee sting which is similar to what we'll see with people with that, That's
1: a That's a great analogy. Yeah. It really is. If we could give one, I'll let each in. We'll start with Mary Beth. If you could give one thing that you could give advice to people about alcohol and what you see, cancer and dietary, what would you tell them?
2: Well, I, I really have to say and encourage people not to drink at all, if at all possible, and look for non-alcoholic substitutions, things like uh, Crystal Light teas. Uh, particularly green tea, we know has a cancer-fighting effect compared to even black tea. Uh, but looking for things that don't have the negative effects that come with alcohol, and that's why many um, groups' recommendations is no alcohol at all if possible. And with patients that come in, often have B vitamin deficiencies. Uh, as you know, we do give them thiamine um, because we need to get that alcohol broken down. But uh, we see malnutrition quite often if we have people that have been long-term drinkers and um, consistently drink.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Severe malnutrition. Uh, I'm, a couple of years ago, oh, it's been longer than that, I had a, a lady present with Wernicke's
2: uh, mm-hmm. Korsakov
1: with vitamin B deficiency to the point that, I mean, she's still impaired, uh, yeah. but has recovered, but uh, still has disability from that, which uh, which is unfortunate because it's so preventable. You know, a Very bowl true. of breakfast cereal is going to replace most of those yep. vitamins. You know. Yep. Matt, how about it? What advice would you give individuals regarding alcohol consumption? Yeah,
3: we would say, you know, our message is always very clear. Uh, Nothing compares with the problems that alcohol has caused in our society Whether you're looking at dollar amounts or health issues like we're talking about today. You know, a lot of times people identify for the right reasons, maybe if you want to look at tobacco and the problems that has caused. But um, for us, you know, our our message has always been, you know, uh, the health issues, the health problems that can be very situational or long term. Associated with uh, developing a relationship with alcohol and using it can be very severe, you know. So we would encourage people to really think about that.
1: And if and if they do have trouble with that relationship, it's 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 not a positive relationship. They should seek help, shouldn't
3: they? Absolutely, we would say. There's a for a community our size, there's some great treatment options. Uh, You know, certainly we would say stop by and see us, have a conversation, talk with a counselor, and we could start that process with trying to determine, you know, how severe is the situation. And there's a number of different kind of levels of severity, but we can help them walk through that. You know, Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Why, why wait till rock bottom to get right. it? Right. Absolutely. Recon- you know you have a problem and, yeah. and, and listen to your loved one.
2: Uh, Absolutely. It might be encouraging.
1: Sooner the better. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, this is really great information. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk about this. Again, that was Matt Rocha, Program Manager at St. Luke's Chemical Dependency and Mary Beth Peiffer, Oncology Dietitian at the Helen G. Nassif Community Cancer Center. If you have a topic you'd like to suggest for our talk on podcast, Shoot us an email at stlukescr at unitypoint.org. We encourage you to tell your family, friends, neighbors, strangers about our podcast. Until next time, be well.